Fired Up show starts right now. And welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. This is Steve, and I'm your host. And each week we look into the political system here in the U.S. and provide uh, analysis and opinion and thoughts on uh, what is right and what is wrong with our political system. Uh, This month, as uh, we continue our journey through uh, Black History Month here in the United States, uh, wanted to uh, maybe take a half step back and kind of talk about the history of Black History Month and kind of answer the questions of uh, where did Black History Month come from? Uh, What are its origins? Well, I did some research and uh, found a, a few articles on Black History Month and out of that kind of synthesized, uh, you know, a, a brief history of where exactly uh, Black History Month got its origins. Uh, so, you know, basically, uh, if you're not aware, uh, Black History Month is an annual celebration of achievements by African Americans and a time for recognizing their central role in U.S. history. It's also known as African American History Month. Uh, The event grew out of what was called Negro History Week, uh, which was the brainchild of Harvard historian Carter G. Woodson and other prominent African Americans. Uh, Since 1976, every U.S. president has officially designated the month of February as Black History Month. Other countries around the world, including Canada and the United Kingdom, also devote a month to celebrating uh, black history. Uh, But what are the origins of Black History Month? Uh, Well, the story of Black History Month uh, begins in 1915, uh, fully half a century after the uh, 13th Amendment abolished slavery in the United States. Uh, In September of that year, uh, Harvard-trained historian Carter G. Woodson and the prominent minister, Jesse E. Moreland, founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History, uh, also uh, acronymed as ASNLH, uh, which is an organization dedicated to researching and promoting achievements by black Americans and other peoples of African descent. Uh, Known today as the study, I'm sorry, the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, or ASALH, the group sponsored a National Negro History Week in 1926, choosing the second week in February, which coincided with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Uh, The event inspired schools and communities nationwide to organize local celebrations, establish history clubs, and host performances and lectures. Uh, What transpired in the decades that followed Mayors of cities across the country began issuing yearly proclamations recognizing Negro History Week. By the late 1960s, thanks in part to the Civil Rights Movement and a growing awareness of black identity, Negro History Week uh, morphed into Black History Month on many college campuses. And then in 1976, President Gerald R. Ford officially recognized Black History Month, calling upon the public to, quote, seize the opportunity to honor the two often neglected accomplishments of black Americans in every area 
of endeavor, I'm, I'm sorry, endeavor throughout our history. Today, Black History Month, uh, it's a time when we honor the contributions and legacy of African Americans across U.S. history and society, from activists and civil rights pioneers such as Harriet Tubman, Sojourner Truth, Marcus Garvey, Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, and Rosa Parks, to leaders in industry, politics, science, culture, and more. So that's kind of the where we, uh, we have come from. Over the course of uh, uh, 50 years, uh, it was found that the contributions of African Americans to the development, diversity, and growth and economic importance of the United States uh, far outstripped what we could effectively commemorate uh, in just a week. So that led to the 1976 uh, declaration by uh, President Gerald Ford of the month of February uh, being uh, Black History Month. And, you know, it, it recognizes that the contributions that uh, people of African descent uh, in this country have made uh, is uh, both substantial and very important. However, you know, as I did my research, uh, thought occurred to look into what other cultural uh, declarations have been made, and uh, there are there are a few. So, as said, February Black History Month. It's also LGBTQ plus History Month, uh, where you know recognition and acknowledgement is given uh, to uh, contributions by the LGBTQ plus community. Uh, March, which we will enter into shortly, is Women's History Month, and you know obviously women have made uh, very substantial and significant contributions uh, to this to this country. Uh, it's uh, also uh, Deaf History Month is in March. Um, and then what do we have? Look, I'm, scale, I'm scrolling through my list, so you know, bear with me. Uh, in June, we have National Aboriginal History Month, uh, primarily uh, celebrated in Australia, but recognized here. Uh, in uh, the U.S. It is also uh, what is known as Pride Month, uh, which is an expansion of the LGBTQ plus history month that I mentioned before. There is also a National Civility Month, uh, which occurs in August, uh, that uh, we also recognize. September brings us uh, National Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, and there we celebrate uh, the Hispanic and Latin cultures and their influence here in the United States. October brings us uh, Filipino American Heritage Month as well as Italian American Heritage Month, uh, both of those occurring in the month of October. Uh, there's uh, also celebrations around Polish American Heritage Month in October. And uh, we also get Islamic History Month uh, as well, among others. Uh, National Native American and American Indian and Asian Native Heritage Month uh, occurs in the month of November here in the United States. 
uh, and uh, following that, uh, rounding out the uh, calendar for Heritage Months, although there are a bunch of uh, individual days celebrating a wide range of subjects and topics and peoples and causes. Uh, you can definitely look that up if you want to see if perhaps the uh, cause or uh, people that are near and dear to your heart uh, have uh, a day or a week or a month uh, dedicated to them. But I found it interesting that out of all of those, uh, the, the ones that I see and my research shows uh, attracts the most uh, protest and antagonism uh, is Black History Month, uh, followed by uh, probably uh, LGBTQ-related uh, celebrations. But uh, by far, the amount of uh, enmity toward African-American cultural celebration uh, has uh, the lead in, in terms of you know protests we see and you know, pushback that we feel. So just something to to keep in mind uh, as we continue to finish out Black History Month here in the U.S. that this is a country that is made up of many many diverse pieces, uh, each of which has a value, each of which has played a role in uh, the development and advancement of this country. You know, uh, you know, this month we're talking about the accomplishments of African Americans, but we also need to be aware that other groups, uh, Asian Americans, uh, Mexican and, and Latin Americans, Polish Americans, Irish Americans, uh, you know, uh, 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 everybody that has come to these shores uh, as immigrants and set down roots and established themselves have contributed to the things that make America great. So, you know, we need to make sure that, you know, we are supporting the efforts of all of the uh, minority and all of the diverse cultures that make up uh, this tapestry that we call the United States. Uh, and, you know, as much as, you know, certain groups would uh, seek to exert their dominance over everything American, if it wasn't for all of the diversity that has come to this shore, these shores, uh, there really wouldn't be an America that looks like anything we recognize right now. So some food for thought there. Uh, and, uh, you know, we will continue. Next episode, uh, we will wrap up um, Black History Month uh, with, you know, final thoughts and other uh, history makers and, and so forth that we have yet to discuss, as well as some thoughts of mine on Black History Month, what it means and what it looks like going forward. The important point to keep in mind is that, as I, as I said, uh, many different groups from many parts of the world uh, have come to this country and have contributed to its growth and development. And all of them need to be celebrated uh, for those contributions uh, and, you know, definitely not uh, denigrated uh, by any one particular group. Uh, 
uh, over and above any other. Uh, everybody has a role to play. Everybody is important. All groups uh, are and should be contributing to the things that make America the, the nation that it is. Uh, we lead the world in terms of our inclusiveness, uh, our uh, diversity. Uh, we are a blended culture. Uh, that is a simple fact. And, you know, contrary to what some in, you know, the, the, uh, the communications and media and, you know, and, and blogosphere and everything else would have us believe, uh, there really is a, a melting pot that occurs in this country. And uh, all of us, all of us, regardless of our background, regardless of our cultural differences, regardless of where we came from, uh, we all uh, can contribute and have contributed to the things that make America great. And that is something that uh, seems to be getting uh, overwritten uh, by all of the noise we hear, uh, particularly from you know certain segments of the political spectrum uh, in this country, and um, you know I am talking to the extreme right, uh, to those that espouse uh, thoughts and and feelings of white privilege in this country. Uh, you need to recognize that if it weren't for the contributions of, you know, African Americans and Hispanic Americans and Asian Americans and, you know, uh, indigenous people, Native Americans, uh, this would not be the country that we see today. It would be a whole lot different. And in my opinion, it would not be uh, as, as great a nation as it is. Uh, everybody brings something to the table. Everybody contributes. And those contributions need to be recognized, appreciated, and acknowledged. And if you uh, will not do that or cannot do that, then you, know, you are working against the very fabric of what this country is all about. Uh, just my thoughts on that. Uh, so, you know, with that being said, let's get into some of the things that occurred uh, in the past week. Um, you know, we have had a decision come down uh, in the uh, corruption case against former President Trump and his organization. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and we're going to address the, uh, the concerns that that raises, given what I've just spent the first portion of this segment talking about. Uh, and I, I have an opinion on uh, this so-called empowerment, or more accurately, this sense of empowerment that seems to drive so much of our uh, political and social dialogue um, these days. And, you know, it, it is very much the antithesis of what has made this country uh, so successful and uh, such a, a global leader uh, that it, it bears some discussion. And we're going to take a little piece of that uh, right about now. So when we talk about 
what's going on uh, in, in terms of uh, how our political body uh, is, is functioning. Uh, and, you know, by this I mean, and I'll, I'll use as an example, uh, the, the conservative right uh, and, you know, presently, I guess, the MAGA right or, or, or the ultra right wing of the Republican Party has uh, expended a great amount of energy in the past uh, few years uh, talking about uh, the, the immigration, quote, problem that exists in this country. Um, notwithstanding, again, what I spent the first few minutes of this segment talking about uh, the, the contributions that immigrants throughout our history have brought to this country, uh, we now see, uh, particularly where the subject of the southern border comes uh, into play, that you know there is you know this this driving dialogue uh, that is coming out about the problems uh, that you know immigration uh, causes in this country, and now I, I grant that there there is. Uh, a problem with our immigration system. Uh, it is slow. It is uh, sometimes inefficient, uh, and uh, it, you know it. It definitely uh, is something that needs to be addressed and fixed. Now that being said, uh, and we talked about this, you know, in the last podcast, uh, the uh, the the Senate put together a bipartisan bill to address the immigration problem in this country and it literally uh, gave the Republican Party just about everything that they have been you know screaming about uh, going you know back to the Obama administration and even before that uh, yet, the the package that was proposed uh, was oh, and is uh, considered you know quote dead on arrival in the house uh, you know simply because the uh, the presumed Republican nominee for president in 2024 wants to use the crisis at the border as a campaign argument and uh, that that is a a symptom of one of the problems uh in that we have in our political system and i know i've talked about this uh numerous times you know across the the shows that we've done here on fired up but it bears mentioning yet again uh the Republicans seem to be consumed with fighting a battle uh, rather than fixing the cause of the battle. What do I mean by that? Well, the, the bill that's proposed, uh, you know, again, bipartisan, Republicans and Democrats supported this bill uh, from the Senate to address not only uh, setting some some very tough guidelines on the number of people who can uh, come across the border, uh, their their processing, their retention if they are not 
officially uh, seeking asylum or you know or otherwise are illegal border crossers. Uh, it includes funding to uh, strengthen the uh, southern border uh, law enforcement efforts. Uh, it includes funding to uh, further address the gaps in the uh, border wall and you know and, and other items uh, and you know it, it was enthusiastically and bipartisan fashion passed in the Senate. Well, uh, the presumed Republican frontrunner uh, eager to use the quote border crisis close quote as one of his key campaign tools, instructed the House of Representatives to kill that bill upon arrival. Uh, and you know this to me uh, is you know just indicative of the the hypocrisy that we see coming out of the Republican Party. Uh, it, it's the latest example in a, a bunch of examples and we've talked about them on this show so I won't go through them again. But, you know, and, and it raises questions that I think every Republican needs to be asking uh, of your political leadership. What exactly is it that you want? Uh, granted, you want to see your uh, presumed candidate for president reelected. Uh, for you know whatever reasons there are for that, and again we've talked about those. Um, if, if you need more information on that, we're gonna we're gonna go through uh, a little bit of that uh, you know later in the show. But you know as we've talked about the uh, Project 2025 uh, process and the things that Republicans want to uh, change or abolish or otherwise uh, undercut in our federal government uh, should they again regain uh, you know control of the levers of power in this country and you know it 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 goes as i said back to the question uh, what is it that you want you know do you want a, a an an autocratic uh, administration do you want a dictator as our leader uh, you know, and it, it is something that, you know, we need to be having a, a more concerned discussion about rather than just, uh, you know, throwing rhetoric out willy nilly uh, in order to to stir up, uh, you know, a, a political party, a political base. Um, and it, it's clear that you know there there really aren't any hard answers you know the republican party does not have a a platform that it is going to uh, campaign and run on for the for the coming cycle rather uh it's if you want to call it a platform consists primarily of you know fear and intimidation tactics uh threats and violence uh, none of which uh, offers constructive solutions to the problems that we have in this country. And any advancement of a, a proposed fix for those problems gets summarily shot down 
because it takes away a potential campaign argument. Uh, that is very problematic for you know, our political system and for us as a nation in choosing you know, our leadership. Uh, it is also part of what is sending a very confusing message to our allies around the world, to people that look up to the United States or depend on the United States uh, or you know, take their signals for leadership from what we say and what we do. I guess what I'm saying, and I'm, I'm rambling a little bit, and I apologize for that, but it, it's kind of akin to uh, throwing your television in the trash because you don't like the programming. So rather than uh, assessing what the information you're being given is and making decisions based on that, uh, you know, many people, particularly those on the right, are just following the the information that is being spooned out from you know the political leaders on that side uh, and accepting whatever they're saying as truth even if there's no factual basis for it uh, and you you need look no further than to go to various social media sites and listen to what uh, the people who are uh, following the uh, MAGA message uh, are saying, uh, even when presented with irrefutable facts, and, and I know I've, I've also made this argument before, um, they just refuse to accept the truth that's in front of them as truth. You know, everything is conspiracy theory. And, you know, it's like I've said, you you can't argue with a conspiracy theorist because every argument is circular. Every theory uh, can be turned around to become part of the conspiracy. It's a no win situation, essentially. But at, at some point, you know, everybody needs to come home to the fact that there are certain irrefutable facts going on that require our attention and require us uh, essentially to to be adults, uh, think about our choices and make choices that benefit the larger whole rather than you know just a few individuals. And in, in my opinion that's that's been the problem with uh, you know the, Republican Party in particular, but our political system in general, in that it is uh, so much more a self-serving entity rather than a country-serving entity. Uh, the, the idea of our elected officials, the way the system uh, was created by the founders, was that we would elect representatives to uh, to run our country, to govern our country on you know a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis, uh, not to you know to grandstand for grandstanding's sake, uh, but to listen to their constituents and you know act accordingly, to do what they have been instructed to do. Again, we elect them 
to go to uh, our, our seats of government, whether it's local, state, or federal, and basically work for us, not the other way around. We don't work for them. They, we tell them how they should be taking care of our business. That's why we put them in place. Uh, it's why it's a representative democracy, because we expect our democratically elected leaders to represent us not the other way around we don't uh we don't follow uh them they follow our lead and you know that is at the root of what needs to be changed in this country is that we need to go out find encourage and support leaders in our communities that are going to uh, basically follow what we tell them to do you know, that, that is the, the, the number one action item of this program and should be the number one action item of every voter, regardless of party in this country. And, you know, I have I can't count the number of times I have brought that point forward uh, in in the you know 200 some odd plus episodes that I've done of this show. Uh, and it is something that I will do for the next 200 some odd episodes of this show. Until we get elected officials that truly represent us, then there will always be need for a fired up to to point this out, to offer solutions and offer uh, guidance on what we need to do, primarily vote. And uh, we will uh, continue to talk about that through the course of this year as we're in the coming into the heart of the election season uh, next month uh, early March we are going to be going through Super Tuesday where you know a lot of uh, Republican delegates will be assigned and you know it, it is a key time for us to make sure that we get the message out there that if you are going to run for office and expect us to vote for you then you need to follow our instructions and not the other way around. So with that being said, let's take our break here. When we come back on the other side, I want to go through uh, probably the, the, the big story of the past week uh, in regards to uh, the presumptive uh, Republican nominee. Uh, you're listening to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media, and we'll be right back after the message. Young people, go spend some time with grandma and grandpa. And if you're so blessed with great grandma and great grandpa and sit down and have them tell you how stories of when they were growing up, look at the things that they've seen. You know, they've gone, they may be, you know, my mother grew up in an age where there wasn't a telephone, never mind an internet, <laughs> you know, you know, and, and just find out, find those family treasures and take note of them. And welcome back to Fired Up right here on WJMS Media. All right, let's um, get into a little bit of uh, what transpired for political news, uh, at least the, the major topics uh, over the past week. Uh, in the U.S. House of Representatives, uh, apparently uh, the 
de facto Speaker of the House uh, now appears to be Donald Trump, uh, even though Mike Johnson holds the gavel and the title. Uh, why do I say that? Well, the, in, as I mentioned in the first segment, the Senate passed a package of uh, border security um, uh, programs as well as aid for Ukraine and Israel and our allies in uh, Taiwan. Uh, and uh, basically, the Democrats gave the Republicans much of what they have been uh, screaming for uh, as I said in the first segment, since uh, the Obama administration in terms of uh, border security personnel and equipment and uh, addition to the wall and, and all of that. Well, apparently, the uh, Donald Trump, the front runner for the Republican nomination, uh, wants to use the crisis at the border as a campaign tool. So he uh, informed Mike Johnson that he wants him to kill the bill when it arrives in the House. And all indications are that that is uh, what's going to happen. Uh, essentially, the Speaker of the House uh, is not going to bring the bill to the floor and, uh, you know, creates a, you know, situation where uh, the Democrats uh, in the House, uh, if they want to bring this bill to the floor, or what's going to have to or are going to have to do what's called a discharge petition, and I, I talked about that in in last week's podcast, uh, and basically that uh, is a a complicated process of uh, bringing the petition up and getting uh, the signatures of uh, two hundred and eighteen of the House members to sign off on it, and it uh, sits uh, in the well of the House for 30 days while this process goes on. If they get to the 218, uh, then it can be brought to the floor for a vote. Now, uh, according to news sources, uh, the, the process of getting the 218 signatures uh, doesn't seem to be a huge hurdle. Uh, it's, it's not without its, its problems uh, because uh, it's going to require um, you know, all of the Democrats and you know, about 15 of the Republicans uh, to vote for it in order for it to move forward. However, once it moves forward, uh, there's no guarantee that the uh, Republicans uh, in, in significant numbers are going to vote for it. So we will see how that turns out. But I guess one could say that uh, the person, uh, the de facto Speaker of the House, apparently is Donald Trump and not Mike Johnson. So uh, we'll keep an eye on, on how that progresses uh, and you know, bring you any updates that we have here on Fired Up. The big news of the week uh, was, and I think I mentioned this as well in the first part, uh, on Friday, uh, February 16th, uh, New York Judge Angoran uh, came out with his verdict in the uh, civil fraud case against Donald Trump, uh, his adult sons, Eric and Don Jr., 
uh, Alvin Weiselberg and the Trump Organization. Uh, at the end of his uh, ruling, uh, Judge Angoron has fined uh, the former president uh, $364 million in damages uh, for fraud. Uh, in addition, he's ordered uh, to pay uh, additional penalties. Uh, both of his sons uh, received penalties of $4 million each. And uh, Alan Weisselberg was, uh, was fined $1 million uh, for a uh, grand total, as I said, of $364 million in uh, penalties. Now, in addition, Donald Trump has been uh, barred from doing real estate business in the state of New York uh, for the next three years. Uh, his sons uh, have also been barred uh, from doing uh, business in the state for two years. And uh, the, the end result is that in total, uh, Donald Trump and his organization have been hit with uh, a total of uh, over $550 million in penalties uh, uh, for the uh, for the frauds committed by his businesses in the state of New York. Uh, the judge, Judge Angoron, wrote a scathing ruling uh, of the former president and some of the, the, the key quotes from that, and this is according to a U.S. News and World Report article uh, from the 16th of February, uh, and it, you know, in, in some, uh, he said, uh, on the scope of Trump's misdeeds, according to the article, uh, and quoting Judge Angoron, uh, United States Supreme Court Justice Potter Stewart famously or infamously declared that he could not define pornography, but that he knew it when he saw it. The frauds found here leap off the page and shock the conscience. Uh, he also uh, cited the reactions of Trump and his adult sons, uh, again quoting, their complete lack of contrition and remorse borders on pathological. They are accused only of inflating asset values to make more money. Uh, the documents prove this over and over again. This is a, veni a venial sin, not a mortal sin. Defendants did not commit murder or arson. They did not rob a bank at gunpoint. Donald Trump is not Bernard Madoff, yet defendants are incapable of admitting the error of their ways. Instead, they adopt a see-no-evil, hear-no-evil, speak-no-evil posture that the evidence belies. And uh, he said when they were confronted with their misdeeds, uh, he talks about how in order to borrow more and more at lower rates, Defendants submitted blatantly false financial data to the accountants, resulting in fraudulent financial statements. Uh, when confronted at trial with the statements, defendants, fact and expert witnesses simply denied reality, and defendants failed to accept responsibility or impose in, uh, internal controls to prevent future recurrences. Uh, you know, he uh, made mention on uh, Donald Trump's credibility. Uh, 
quote, Donald Trump professed to know more about real estate than other people and to be more expert than anybody else. He repeatedly falsified business records with the intent to defraud. Uh, he, you know, commented that uh, Trump rarely responded to questions asked, and he frequently interjected long, irrelevant speech speeches on issues far beyond the scope of the trial. He even uh, uh, called out uh, Ivanka Trump, uh, citing that, you know, her uh, fractured memory of the details, uh, you know, belied the fact that she did in fact know as evidenced by when pre presented with the uh, emails and documents all of a sudden you know remembered uh, you know engagements and and things that were done in interactions on the subject uh, of the the point that uh, Donald Trump made uh, that that kind of falls into the court everybody does it defense uh, they they cited, and by they I mean uh, Donald Trump and his adult sons, all cited that you know there was no harm done as the banks and financial institutions were made whole because all of the loans were fully paid back. Uh, Judge Angoron said, quote, timely and total repayment of loans does not extinguish the harm that false statements inflict on the marketplace. Indeed, the common excuse that, quote, everybody does it, close quote, is all the more reason to strive for honesty and transparency and to be vigilant in enforcing the rules. Here, despite the false financial statements, it is undisputed that defendants have made all required payments on time. The next group of lenders to receive bogus statements might not be so lucky. New York means business in combating business fraud. You know, he goes on to, uh, to excoriate uh, several of the expert witnesses, uh, including Eli Bartov's assessment on the uh, triplex residence of Donald Trump in Trump Tower. Uh, indeed, Bartov insisted that the misrepresentation of the triplex property resulting in a $200 million over in overvaluation was not intentional or material and in, in parentheses it notes leading the court to wonder in what universe is 200 million dollars immaterial uh, you know and you know he, he goes on to uh, to uh, cite you know how the high power high cost expert witnesses uh, so easily and readily seem to go along with the overall uh, uh, fraudulent activity and, you know, and, and so forth. Uh, he further cited on inflating property values because Trump was president, uh, his statement, indeed, there was such an effort to conceal the loss in value from the accurately reported triplex that in a draft version of the 2017 Statement of Financial Condition document that all uh, elected officials have to submit annually to the federal government, dated October 10, 2017, Bernie added that a 15 to 25 percent premiums to many of Donald Trump's property, calling them, quote, premium for presidential property, I'm sorry, presidential personal residence, or premium for presidential property, 
or premium for presidential winter residents and premium for presidential summer residents. In total, these various versions of presidential premiums amounted to an extra $144,681,000 uh, increase for the year 2017. Uh, it, it's you know, again, the, the, the blatant nature of the approach by, you know, Trump and his organization to flaunt, you know, the, the rules, not only of business law, but of, of financial and, and, you know, law in general, um, you know, led him to state, led Judge Angoran to state, um, that the organization will be under continued oversight because, quote, the Trump organization does not have the ability to operate with a functional financial reporting structure that would protect against fraud in the future. The fact that there are virtually no internal controls in place at the Trump organization creates an atmosphere conducive to fraud. In an article uh, released on the same day by USA Today, uh, not only covered the uh, financial penalties that were lev levied against uh, Donald Trump and his organization by Judge Angoran, but it also uh, went into detail some of the reply back uh, from uh, Donald Trump. And of course, you know, leading the charge uh, is, you know, President, former President Trump blast the quote crooked judge and attorney general and the article cites that um, the the civil case marks an enormous financial blow to the former president whose namesake buildings dot the the globe and a major victory for state attorney general Letitia James who filed the lawsuit Trump who has now been hit with a stunning total of, get this, $536.8 million in court damages in the last three weeks, including an $88.3 million judgment in a civil defamation case. The 2024 Republican presidential frontrunner railed against Friday's decision on his social media site, Truth Social, saying... Uh, quote, a crooked New York state judge working with a totally corrupt attorney general who ran on the basis of, quote, I will get Trump, close quote, before knowing anything about me or my company has just find, fined me $355 million based on nothing other than having built a, in all caps, great company, he wrote, again, in all caps, election interference, witch hunt, uh, and, you know, told reporters Friday night uh, at his private uh, Florida club, uh, we will appeal and we'll be successful. Uh, jumping out of the article there, I mean, number one, not an unusual response from the former president. Uh, but the other thing to keep in mind is that the, uh, the law in New York is, and I believe elsewhere, is that if you were appealing a, a verdict, a monetary verdict, you have to post a bond equal to the total amount of that, uh, that verdict plus interest uh, in order to file an appeal. So 
Donald Trump is going to have to cough up $535 million in order to appeal these verdicts. Now, there was an article in, I believe it was Forbes, uh, that said uh, at the time it was written that uh, Donald Trump professed to have about $400 million uh, in cash on hand. So he doesn't have enough to cover the costs of the bond uh, that will be posted in order uh, to proceed with his uh, with his uh, appeal. So that means he's either going to have to sell or mortgage uh, some of his properties in order to cover that uh, that debt. Uh, and remember, that also includes the eighty eight point three million uh, that he was ordered to pay writer E. Jean Carroll for you know civil defamation uh, in the case last year. And you know, keep in mind that you know his legal defense in all of these cases, and he still has at least three more, uh, you know, uh, two two federal and a state case that he's got to defend himself against. Uh, and he's already spent, um, you know, estimates are. Uh, somewhere north of $40 million in legal fees, and that total is only going to get higher and higher. And side note, uh, realize that lawyers now uh, coming to the defense of Donald Trump are requiring cash upfront payments uh, because he is famous for not paying his attorneys uh, in in the past. Um, So, you know, it's... It, it's a, a thorny problem for the former president, um, but you know there there are uh, apparently some guardian angels out there, even for him. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, you know the the trial was marked by uh, Trump just uh, being Trump, not being able to sit still or keep quiet. Uh, making outbursts in court, ignoring gag orders, and also a question of perjury uh, by his uh, co-defendant and you know financial officer Weisselberg, uh, who is uh, apparently in plea negotiations uh, with the Manhattan District Attorney over possible perjury on the witness stand, uh, and you know Judge Ngoren has requested information on that that deal under negotiation uh, with the the possibility of coming back with perjury charges of his own for Weisselberg. Um, so this is, you know, a, a huge uh, kettle of worms uh, for the former president. Um, but like I said, apparently uh, in some form or fashion, he lives under a, you know, a, a blessed star because the news reports are now that uh, his supporters have uh, pulled together and have started a GoFundMe page for the $355 million fine assessed in the trial. And uh, this uh, report came out again. February 16th, so right after the decision was announced, uh, you know, supporters of Donald Trump started a GoFundMe page. Uh, 
Uh, and uh, the article that was in Newsweek uh, says supporters of former President Donald Trump have launched a GoFundMe page to pay the approximately $355 million that the billionaire ex-president uh, was fined at the conclusion of his New York civil fraud trial. Uh, it it uh, goes on to state, New York State Supreme Court Justice Arthur Angoran on Friday ordered Trump and his companies to pay the state $354,868,768 plus interest that pushes the penalty up to more than $450 million. You know, after finding the, the president liable for fraudulent, fraudulently manipulating the value of assets on financial statements. Um, Elena Cardone, wife of real estate investor and influencer Grant Cardone, announced a short time later on X, formerly Twitter, that she had started a GoFundMe page to foot the bill. According to Forbes, Trump had a net worth of $2.6 billion dollars as of September. Uh, the, the page titled Stand with Trump fund the $355 million unjust judgment uh, had reached over $18,000 of the $355 million total about five hours after it was launched. And I did some checking and as of uh, early on uh, Sunday, uh, just prior to my recording this, uh, it was up to $250,000. So, you know, only $354,750,000 to go. Um, uh, again, you know, the idea here is he, Donald Trump is pulling the same tactic over and over. He's going out for other people's money, which is his modus operandi and has been uh, you know, throughout his business career, uh, why use your own money when you can use someone else's, uh, to, to pay his legal bills. Meanwhile, the fact that, you know, he has, according to Forbes, you know, a, a net worth of $2.6 billion, uh, he could, uh, he could slice, you know, half a, half a billion dollars off, uh, with, you know, little effort, if any, there's a, a screen capture on the GoFundMe page uh, that has a quote uh, regarding, you know, it, its purpose. And it, it says, and I quote, this is more than a legal fund. It is a clarion call to all patriots to rally in defense of a man who has never hesitated to stand in defense of us. And this was written by uh, Mrs. Cardone. Uh, she wrote, it's about showing that when one of us is targeted for championing the values that make America great, he does not stand alone. Um, okay, yeah, I, I, you can go ahead and say that. I won't believe it, but you can go ahead and say that. Her husband, Grant Cardone, wrote on X that donors would be standing together against unjust rulings like this where a biased judge... Uh, and corrupt legal system is out of control. Uh, another commenter uh, on the page uh, wrote, and, and this is from uh, far-right Trump supporter and conspiracy theorist Laura Loomer, responded to Cordon by arguing that the fundraiser should have been hosted by self-described, quote, Christian crowdfunding site, 
Give, Send, Go instead. Uh, she cites, GoFundMe is anti-Trump and liberal, she wrote. You should have used, you know, Give, Send, Go um, and uh, instead. GoFundMe is notorious for banning conservative campaigns. Uh, she cites that she's been banned from GoFundMe since 2018. So some other quotes, which I'll cite here, but I will leave the, uh, the names off. Um, uh, for example, uh, there's a quote that says, They have a GoFundMe account for Trump, who Forbes claims is worth $2.6 but don't you dare call it a, a cult, close quote. And another one cites, wait, what? Donald Trump, a supposed billionaire businessman, has a GoFundMe page with two question marks after it. The only thing more pathetic than this are his cult members who will actually help fund him by sending him money. Sad. Another one cites, let me get this straight. Someone started a GoFundMe for the over $300 million that Trump owes and people have actually contributed to it? Uh, another one cites, uh, my God, the MAGAs are truly some of the dumbest people on this planet. Other responders on the GoFundMe page uh, cited that the page uh, violates a stipulation of GoFundMe's terms of service that prohibits the fundraising for, quote, the legal defense of alleged financial and violent crimes, close quote. However, Trump's penalty occurred in civil court and did not constitute a crime. Uh, several people uh, picked up on this, stating that it's a violation of GoFundMe's TOS. Uh, I encourage everyone to report this. Another wrote, hey, GoFundMe, should we check your terms of service for a violation here? Uh, and so forth. L let me conclude um, go going back to the uh, U.S. News report uh, on Judge Angoran's comments. Uh, he cited in his, uh, in his decision uh, a couple of points regarding Trump property values. Uh, for example, he mentions a 200-acre Westchester County property called Seven Springs LLC, appraised by Royal Bank of Pennsylvania in 2006 at $30 million if converted to residential homes. A Cushman and Wakefield appraiser estimated the value in 2014 at $30 million. Trump reported the value at 261 to $291 million during that period. Uh, another one, Trump Park Avenue, a residential building, had rent-controlled apartments that Angeron had, been ru had ruled that had been overvalued by 700%. Uh, and his lawyers argued in defense that the units could eventually become market rent units, but Angeron ruled the numbers are supposed to represent current values, not someday, maybe, values. Uh, he also included a lease at 40 Wall Street in New York was appraised in 2010 by Cushman and Wakefield as worth $200 million. But the Trump Organization valued the property at $525 million in 2011 and $735 million in 2015. Trump said the differences were irrelevant because his lender, Ladder Capital, made $40 million in interest on a loan for the property. Uh, so 
you know, there's that. Mar-a-Lago, Trump's Florida resort, had a market value ranging from 18 to $27.6 million during the decade ending in 2021, according to the Palm Beach County Assessor. Trump valued the property at uh, up to $612 million uh, during that period. And then again, you know, we heard in the news, Trump's own apartment in Trump Tower, 10,996 square feet, but he submitted forms. It was 30,000 square feet, according to Judge Angoran. The difference resulted in an overvaluation of between $114 million to $207 million. So, you know, these are the games that, you know, were being played uh, and, and what ended up uh, getting him the guilty verdict. So, you know, let me know what you think about, you know, the Trump case and, and the judge's decision. Send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'm particularly interested if uh, you are one of the individuals that may have contributed to the GoFundMe uh, for Donald Trump's uh, legal defense. I really, you know, ask, you know, wholeheartedly, uh, tell me what your reasons are. Uh, for uh, for funding the uh, the Trump effort defense effort um, I, I'm really curious to know no shade you know no insult intended I just want to know what people think uh, about the fund if they contributed and why so you know send an email fired up radio at yahoo.com and uh, let's have let's have a discussion about you know, why people uh, would, would go there and, and, and do that. So that's going to do it for this week's show. Uh, thank you all for joining. As always, please remember to stay safe. COVID is back and, with a vengeance. So, you know, take all the necessary precautions. Uh, hopefully everybody has a great week. And I look forward to having conversations with you again next week in seven days. Take care, everybody.